everyone is a star child made of stardust and the infinite potential of the universe. This extraordinary fearless something in each of us clamors for freedom from the bonds of fear, conformity, and an ordinary life. Welcome to Dr. Durr's Living in the Sweet Spot, where practical tools and solutions from the intersection of mind-body medicine, science, and spiritual well-being awaken and empower you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Valen A. Durr. And, you know, I know that as a spiritual being or an um, energy being, that in order for us to demonstrate our infinite potential, we have to have hands and feet. And in order for us to have hands and feet, we need to then have a brain that operates that hand and feet. So in order to have the greatest demonstration of the infinite potential that we are as star children, that the brain then is what I call the gateway to having that greatest demonstration. And so in order to have that, the healthier your brain, the healthier and the greater are your demonstrations. So today joining me, is my guest, Dr. Gretchen Bowles, a psychologist and actually a prescribing psychologist. So I would welcome Dr. Gretchen. Thank you very much, Dr. Ballin. Thank you for having me here today. Well, you know what? I, I Of course, I'm so happy to have you here and was so looking forward to having this conversation with you because, you know, you're kind of like a unicorn. Right? I am, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, just to uh, to 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 give the audience some background as to why I'm saying that, uh, Dr. Gretchen Bowles is is a licensed clinical psychologist here in the state of Illinois, and for over 25 years, and then she's also an adjunct professor at the Elmhurst College, where she teaches undergraduate um, sciences. She is the fifth licensed prescribing psychologist in the state of Illinois and um, the first prescribing psychologist to treat patients at Ascension Community Health Center in Arlington Heights. Um, she's also, um, again, been in private practice for over 25 years. Um, she's the, the founder and CEO of Bowles Clinical Psychology Group in Burr Ridge and um, you know, again, Dr. Bowles is the is the program manager for the Alexian Brothers um, Ascension Illinois Health Systems Prescribing Psychology Fellowship Program. Uh, I believe the only one of its of its kind in terms of the uh, uh, of an approved program by the state of Illinois. So uh, that is why I'm calling Dr. Gretchen a unicorn because they're only unless it's changed recently. It has only, changed, right? Well, I was going to say, but there's only like five states. In the United right. in the U in the US that actually have prescribing psychologists, and right. then uh Illinois being one of them. And then there uh of course there are a, a, a small number, relatively small number of prescribing psychologists. So, you know, one of the things that that I know to be true is a lot of folks are even unaware of the difference between what you do as a psychologist and what I do as a psychiatrist, right? Right. And, you know, of course, I'm a medical doctor um, and you have a, a doctorate in psychology. So you have a side D, but why don't you, why don't you tell us a, 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 a bit more about what makes you different as a psychologist from me as a psychiatrist? Okay. So, um, and so first I thought I was thinking about that before the show and I thought I, you're right. I don't think a lot of people know the difference so I thought I'd give a little historical background on the two. So a psychiatrist is, you know, a, a medical specialty. And it's right. been around. Right. Meaning I went to medical school, you could went have been to a surgeon, school. could have been a pediatrician, could have been right. an oncologist, an OB-GYN. So I'm a medical doctor. And, and with that, you are really able to prescribe any medication that you would like because you have gone through all of that training and you can work with some, you know, 
medically challenged cases. Um, our, the psychology route is a little bit different. We really didn't come into being until after World War II. And we started out as sort of the assessment people and we did a lot of testing and that's where we started. And um, it was the 1950s with the Carl Rogers and um, Albert Ellis and those folks that we started to get into psychotherapy. And then in the 1960s, um, APA recognized uh, psychopharmacology as a subset discipline of psychology. So, you know, prior to the 2000s, you know, we were doing testing and, and psychotherapy strictly for mental illness. And you go to school, you go to graduate school after uh, college and get a PsyD or PhD um, and you become a psychologist. And then you have to go through licensure and so on. But we were not, you're not able to prescribe medications. Right. So again, just so folks have a little understanding, you, you know, we've already established I'm a medical professional, but what do you then do as a psychologist? Yeah, and so, so, so back in the 90s, uh, the Department of Defense, um, uh, it was like 1991 to 1997, they decided to do a pilot project to see if uh, psychologists who were, who were trained could prescribe medication to, um, to the Army. So there were 10 psychologists that went through the training and, um, and it was a, a huge success. So after that, states started to talk about, well, maybe uh, civilian psychologists, uh, particularly with the mental health crisis, maybe if they got enough training, maybe they could do the same thing. So, right, but what uh, I think what I'm what I'm trying to get at, I think yeah. a lot of folks are not even aware what you do as a psychologist, even though you're even if you're not okay. a prescribing psychologist. Okay, so so I I consider myself a generalist. And so patients come see me if they're anxious or depressed or they have marital problems. Um, I do a consultation with them and we create a treatment plan and I see them in therapy. I do a lot of hypnosis, um, mindfulness. I'm a yogi. I incorporate that into my practice. Yes. Um, so traditional psychotherapy with a little bit of holistic twist. Okay. And then, but psychologists, uh, they also do, they also do psychological testing. Right. And so I do testing. I do um, memory testing for patients. I do personality testing, um, bariatric evaluations. I do testing uh, for patients prior to surgery. Um, so that's kind of my practice. Okay. And then the, and then the, the testing then, helps you it, it helps you kind of figure out maybe is this person areas also in certain areas one if there's some brain dysfunction right, right. so you you and, could have someone come in and you might say gee they really seem depressed but it really could be that there's some kind of dementia process going on Right. Um, if I do a screening and I feel well, like I'm just to say also, so things like, and again, I'm really trying to tease this out. Yeah. I think it's really important that people have an understanding of the real benefits of working with a psychologist and the different tools that you all bring uh, to, to, to assist and to assist people in um, working through whether it's depression, whether it's trauma, whether it's anxiety, whether it's ADHD, whether there's brain, you know, traumatic brain injury, to really kind of tease that out so that they see how hugely beneficial um, it is, and especially even to have testing because, for instance, if you have problems with um, remembering things, problems processing things, if there's issues with um, you know, determining what your IQ is. So, so. Right. It, 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 and it, it helps the patient because it objectifies what's going on for them. Cause oftentimes they know there's something wrong and then you can go back and say, okay, well, the testing is showing. That this there, specifically this is, is what's happening with your brain, which is right. not working properly and it's creating this problem. Right. And so therefore I will send you to the specialist or the specialist, depending on what the, the nature is of, of the problem. Um, right. 
Um, so I, if, I think it's, you know, I always yeah. appreciated this as because in, in obviously when I was in, in, in residency, uh, especially, um, but in medical school too, to some degree, you know, as a psychiatrist, you're trying to figure that out. And so as a psychiatrist, I don't do psychological testing, right? I don't do neuropsych right. testing. That's the domain of the psychologist. But again, right. as you're saying, it gives us, it gives us um, an objective measure yes. to identify this brain dysfunction and, and right. then to formulate a treatment, you know, treatment plan this in keeping with that, you know, yes, it's in your head, but it's actually literally in your brain, right? Yeah. And, and, and your body, you know, and, and educating them that, yeah, you are feeling things. You yes. can't separate the two. And how do we go forward? Right. And, so you and, have, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I was going to say, so you have uh, a society and I know there's a society, some people, actually some people have doctorates, but it's not always a society. The society is a doctorate in psychology, right? Correct. You can get a PhD. Traditionally, the PhD was less clinical okay. um, and the society was more clinical. Okay. Um, and I did take more of a clinical path. So got it. Got it. So, okay. So I, so I think now that, um, that we've gotten, we've gotten that, that we've gotten that teased kind of teased out in terms of, you know, that your doctorate, you went to graduate school. Right. 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 You so you went to medical school and I went to graduate school, right? Correct. Correct. So, um, you know, very, very, uh, so very different, very different paths. Yes. So you, you, you get your side D, what kind of work, what, what kind of work were you doing at the time when you, you know, before you got into the, um, the, the training so program I, so, or. Yeah. So yeah, when I graduated, uh, with my side D, I ended up uh, going into a hospital, acute hospital setting for about 10 years. Okay. And, um, so yeah, and we were, and we were kind of, uh, playing with, uh, moving around to different, I was working with cardiac rehab and the infertility clinic at McNeil hospital in Berwyn and, uh, the transitional care unit. And we were sort of, you know, feeling our way in terms of integrating behavioral health with, uh, medicine. Okay. And so it was kind of new back then. Um, but I was playing with these different, uh, you know, uh, ways of working with, uh, different professionals. And, and it was successful. All right. Um, and so, so then, so, so then tell me how doing that kind of clinical work in those various settings, again, how, did, how did your path lead you to that, to doing that study? Um, uh, to do with, with the military. This, oh, well, I didn't do that study in the military, but okay. that was, but that's, um, that study, I think, came out that was in the 90s that that occurred okay um and so uh, and you were only five to, right uh yeah I was five <laughs> but I was not a part of that study but no I I mean back then I wasn't really this was so gosh when I started working at that hospital it was 1992 I was kind of thinking about prescribing but I really was much more involved with psychotherapy and testing and um I had started my private practice at that time as well and that's when I was also teaching at Elmhurst. I don't do that anymore. Um, but uh, then I moved into uh, clinical hypnosis. I was really uh, intrigued by that and involved with the Chicago Society and did end up becoming past, pres past president. I finished that in like 2000, but I still do hypnosis and mindfulness and the yoga. And that all, I felt like really... Uh, it was a compliment to what I did as a psychologist. So I, I knew probably in the, let's say after I got married, so like 2000s, early 2000s, that this was kind of on the horizon because New Mexico was the first state in 2002. And then 2004 was Louisiana. Um, it was kind of out there, but um the psychologist that sort of spearheaded this whole thing in Illinois, uh, she was the president of IPA at the time. Her name was Dr. Beth Romreimer. So I would say my discussions with her kind of uh, inspired me to, to, um, to move forward with this. Um, 
And I remember having an interesting conversation with a, another psychologist at the time. A lot of psychologists were very much against this and were really concerned that this would change the field of psychology. And, um, and he was a mentor of mine. And he said at this, he said, I, it really doesn't make sense to me that you would consider this given the fact that um, you are, you are much more holistic in nature. And he said, I don't see those that is, uh, you know, meshing. And I said, really, on the contrary, I said, if I want to understand the whole person, wouldn't it behoove me to understand what's, what's going on with the brain? I don't want to be a psychiatrist. I think it's a different field. And since then, he has, he has agreed with me. Um, so I didn't quite know what it would look like, but I jumped into the training uh, about two weeks after I had a discussion with Ram Reimer. And so I was 47, I'll be 57 next week. So it, it's been a lot, quite a journey. I, I had two young kids, probably in their late, well, middle school, grammar school. My husband was working in Utah. So I was balancing my practice and I thought I'm going to go for this. I thought it made sense at the time. Okay. Um, so it was 2014 that Illinois passed the law and I was a little shocked by that. <laughs> because a, a, a lot and, and uh, there was a lot there was a lot of lobbying against it too um, mm -hmm. um which which i understand um and so when the law passed it was it was a much more stringent law than uh louisiana or new mexico so would you like me to tell you how that looks and so yeah, you I have mean, to just, be, yeah, I mean, yeah, I got to be what, is it, what it looks like. What does it look like here in Illinois? In Illinois, you must be a, a, a clinical psychologist licensed in Illinois. Then you go on to get your master's in psychopharmacology. So that was two years. There are three programs. I think there are four programs now that offer that. I went to Alliant in California. Um, you also have to take several undergraduate pre-medical uh, courses. So I think there were nine or 10 of those that I had to do. Mm -hmm. um, if you did them during your undergrad, hallelujah, you didn't have to do them. So, so what were some of the classes that you had to go back and take? Uh, chemistry with labs, uh, microbiology with lab, anatomy, um, physiology, anatomy and physiology, medical terminology, biology. Um, am I missing some? Um, statistics, which I already had. Um, pathology, I think that's, that covers most of them. Um, so we had to do that. And then you have to pass the national exam. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the next hurdle. Um, and then Illinois requires us to do uh, medical rotations from 14 to 28 months. And those included psychiatry, um, OBGYN, emergency medicine, family practice, internal medicine, um, an elective. I chose neurology, um, surgery. I did neurosurgery. Um, what am I missing? Geriatrics, pediatrics. Okay. Um, now the Illinois law, we, it's very, uh, clear. We were not allowed to work with anyone under 18 or over 65 no pregnant women, no one with any very severe medical uh, challenges like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, seizure disorders. Um, we are not allowed to prescribe stimulants. Um, so it's very, very specific to a certain population. Mm -hmm. And I just had a, yeah, so I was licensed in 2020 and I've had a patient I've been doing psychotherapy with for years, highly anxious never wanted to try a medication. And so two years ago, I started her on Buspirone, very, very low dose. And it's been working well. And next week she turns 65. So I cannot prescribe her anymore. Ah, so that's kind of, that's an interesting uh, situation to be in. So I have to refer her out. Right. Although at least in her case, because of the, the, the medication she's taking, you know, probably a primary care provider could do that. Right. With, right. You know, with, with a level of comfort of comfortability. Um, um, so, 
Right. I know, obviously, at this point in time, you, you know, number one, not only am um, not only am I an adult psychiatrist, but I'm a child and adolescent okay. psychiatrist as well. So I'm double boarded. Okay. And, and there's, as you well know, there's a shortage of psychiatrists, yes. but there's a huge shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists. So and, yes, and and I think and I know that the, we're trying to go back and lift those age restrictions because the child and adolescent psychologists could certainly work with the younger patients. That's yeah. not an avenue I would ever take because I don't work with that population. Yes. So it was yeah one of one of my um, um, Dr. Espinosa. He was actually because you know, as a as a physician again we do different rotations and so I was doing right. Um, doing radiology at um, what was then the West Side VA. I think it's Jesse Brown now. But Dr. Espinoza, in his wonderful teaching style, he's the chief of radiology. And, he, and so I'm doing the rotation. And, and so talking about what I wanted to do and in and, and and adolescent psychiatry, he's like, oh, so you like the little bits. Uh. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I like the little bits. <laughs> I could see you working with children. I think that's wonderful. That's a talent in and of itself. For sure, um, and it, it, it and then you've got the parents to work with too. It's, it's yes, um, it means work to me. Challenged. It means working with families, right? Yes, with families. Um, but I think it also, if we keep in, as you well know, there are many people because of either um, unres unresolved or unhealed childhood wounds, um, you know, in terms of childhood experiences. Uh, in addition to just, you know, flat out trauma, people that get and, and, you know, losses, grief, all of that are really, they're still stuck at some point in childhood. So although I like to say, you know, we, we're oftentimes dealing with the mind and emotions, you know, of a child or an adolescent in an adult body. Absolutely. Right. So, um, but I'm sorry, you were saying about the fact that in terms of prescribing for um, your, your patient who you yeah, have for anxiety. Right. And most of, so most of my patients in my practice, I do psychotherapy with. And so, and I wouldn't say that I, um, am prescribing to everybody. And I think okay. that was a fear. Oh my God, you give those psychologists a, a license to prescribe and they're going to go bananas. And it's quite the opposite. It really is. Um, I'm really very tempered and very conservative. And, and if I, you know, and I think it's important for your audience to know that um, for those of us who've chosen this path, and incidentally, as of today, we're only, there are only 19 of us in the state and total in all five states, maybe 250. So okay, okay, we're not talking big numbers here. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, you know, we- Tiny, tiny numbers. Right. You know, compared to like nurse practitioners and PAs and um, it's very, it's a very small number, but we, we really think it through. And if we think this is a case that is way beyond uh, what we can handle, we refer out. And that's what we do anyway, as psychologists, I think that's important to know. And you know, we, we collaborate with primary care and psychiatry and neurology and it's, it's, it's something that we, it's our nature. <laughs> We're yes. very collaborative in nature. Yes. And I, and I think, and as you were talking, I was also thinking about too, um, you know, there is overlap in what we do. So while I may, may be more medically based, um, I do therapy with my patients as well. Yes, and so it's, it's, and as you well know, therapists, there's different credentials as it were. Right. So whether you as a psychologist or me as a psychiatrist or someone who's uh, an LSW, uh, licensed clinical social worker, LCPC, licensed clinical um, practicing uh, 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 counselor. counselor, there's, so there's different kinds of therapists with different credentials. But again, with you and I, there is overlap. And, you know, for me, um, here's the way I, I say it. I, I look at it from a place of mental wealth with the term yes. I, I use mental wealth that I define as brain health plus transformative thinking. 
Yes. And so it's important to have the right solution for whatever the, the, the problem or the issue is. Another way, simple way of saying it is, if you run out of gas, it's not going to help you to put air in the tires. Right. And yeah. And and as you're, yes. And as you're talking, I'm thinking like how mental health has changed. And so we're calling it kind of like a mental health crisis. I almost think in a sense, more and more people are just uh, open to the notion of getting help. I mean, back when I was a kid, if you had problems, you didn't want anybody to know. And it wasn't until you crashed and burned and some horrible things happened. Right. And, and I think that that, that, that's really rooted in the fact that if you, if you think about it, it's really rooted in that if people see you as too different for them and too, um, too unusual and being kind, yeah, <laughs> you know, cause they would just say crazy, right. right. Um, yeah. it, it, that if that potentially what it meant was that um, you got marginalized. People didn't want to be bothered with you. Use this plain, simple term. They don't want to be bothered with you. They don't want to deal with you. They don't want to interact with you. But then they're also subject to attack you. So the appearance, the appearance, the appearance of there being something wrong with you as opposed to I have a brain. So there's something wrong with my brain. Is the fact that, that, that I get disconnected and potentially harmed as a consequence, you know, yes. of that. You know, what does this say about me and who I am? You know, I'm weak. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. All these, all these things that it really doesn't mean, right? Help. So it's right. It's an organ in your body that might be dysfunctional, like your heart, like anything else. Correct. And some people, you know, would benefit from you know medications, vitamins, minerals, whatever. But then again. If, if you're, if, uh, again, you need some air in your tires, it's not going to help you put gas in the tank. So if, right. if a person doesn't need medication, but they don't have the tools to heal their wounds, then that's where any therapist comes in. I mean, I say any therapist, meaning whether it's you as a psychologist sure. or whomever else is providing therapy is to, to give a person additional tools right and and you know understand and helping them the other part of that i think of going back to that whole dentistry parallel you know you go in you get your your tooth is kind of you know back in the day you didn't take care of your mouth (laughs) you have a toothache you go in they just pull your teeth now it's preventative medicine preventative mental health preventive, you know, preventative brain health, you know, um, none of us are uh, in the human condition. We can't escape uh, things happening that might cause our mental health to fail us. Um, Teaching people about, you know, their stress thresholds and where they are and, you know, uh, you know, what are your triggers? How do we stay, you know, keep ourselves well on a daily basis? Yeah. So how do you manage your stress for instance, yes. you know, keep it in the realm of, of, of um, also, you know, in terms of therapy, because I try, you know, I try to teach people that there's a chemical component to what you think and feel and experience. Mm-hmm. And if it's highly stressful. Then you get chemicals released in your body, like cortisol, which um, it's fine if it's for brief, a brief period, but over extended periods, what's going to end up happening is it's going to cause damage, right? It's right. going to, and in, in, in increase your your blood pressure and decrease blood flow and you know um, impair your immune system. So all these different things that are happening are going to create illness if it happens, you know, chronically over t- over time. So um, so stress killing is a is a real medical condition. Yes. So so again to come back with you and the work that that you do. Um, it's, it's, you know, really critically important, right? Right. So, so what do you see, um, you know, as, as, you know, as, well, let's say, what do you see as the benefits of being, uh, of, of being a therapist, being a prescribing psychologist, 
you know, for, for anyone who might benefit from, you know, your unique skill set? Well, so I'll go back to this anxious patient of mine. She, um, again, worked with her for years and really uh, lots of panic. Um, just, you know, couldn't get out of that fight and flight. So in psychotherapy, you did a lot of education about we're changing your neural pathways by talking. It's, it might take a little bit longer. I always wanted her to try medication. And this is back before I could even prescribe. And she was dead set against it. You know, anxious people are afraid. Um, so my, the benefit for me helping her was the fact that she knew me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when I finally was able to prescribe, I said, let's just try this really small dose of something. And if it doesn't work, you go off it mm-hmm. and I'll see you next week. <laughs> I think I tried her on five milligrams of buspirone to take at night. She was terrified. She had, she'd purchased, you know, she picked it up at the, at, at Walgreens and she said, I'm, I just don't know if I'm going to do it. Finally, she did. And I don't know if it's placebo. Anyway, she's up to 30 milligrams a day and is doing quite well. So the benefit was me being able to work with her on a weekly basis, knowing her for a longer period of time. Um, It was very rewarding. Yeah, because you have an opportunity to um, establish relationship and rapport and therefore trust. Right. So I, you know, maybe tops, I see 25 people a week in my practice. Okay. Now, um, up at Ascension at the uh, Community Mental Health Center, they hired me to do just medication management. So that's a real different uh, kind of beast for me. I've got 20 minutes and they just, yeah, they they don't want me to take any longer time. And I, I had suggested that maybe I did both the therapy with the med management and they just wanted me to do med management. So that's been a unique experience. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm sure. So, so, you know, so, so I was going to say, so let's, let's talk about something I think is probably yeah. pretty obvious, which is, you know, I, as you said, you know, you're not a physician, you're not right. a nurse practitioner, you're not a, you know, a PA or physician assistant um, as a non-medical person. And because of the, the pandemic um, and the tremendous stress that it's put on people um, and the demand for the services of mental health, you know, one, I, I also, of course, try to educate um, because, you know, from a basic, I think people need to understand that your body can't live without a brain. Right. And so you need to take care of your brain health. So that, yes, because it's all connected, right? They, they, your, your brain and your body is, is, is inseparable from the rest of your bodies. Like I said, it's not in a separate container. Yes. So in that context, again, the healthier your brain is, the better your life is, uh, both in terms of brain function, um, but also in terms of the thoughts we think. So in terms of what's happened with the pandemic, has that changed, you know, any aspect, uh, either in terms of the amount, the way, is there any different differences in how that or how you engage with people just any any, anything that's happened because of that yeah um well the telehealth obviously became more profound um and I I I must say I don't enjoy it I really want to see someone and experience them and and the office so there are a few patients um that I have not seen since and I just do uh, telehealth with them Mm-hmm. And I've just had some conversations this week and said, I'd really like to get you back in the office. You know, it's important to see you live at least once in a while. So I would say that I think it's easier for patients. Um, but, you know, so that's kind of the logistics of it. But in terms of just the whole pandemic, I think uh, uh, the stress levels for everybody is, has just been, I mean, especially older teenagers. I do see people, 16, 17, 18, college students, 
older people. Um, it's uh, it's been very profound. Older people who were used to going to church and couldn't go to church anymore. That was their sense of community. Going to the grocery store, you know, just greeting people. Uh, you know, they lost all of that. Not getting out of their houses. Um, high school kids, and I again, I wasn't working with the younger ones, but you know having to be with the same small group over and over and over. And that's the state, that's the time in your life when you're supposed to be exploring new people. And, you know, that's how you learn about yourself and within the context of others, I think it caused terrible depression and anxiety and all kinds of things popped up that normally I don't think would have happened. And I think people are still struggling. Right. So I think with the kids in particular, um, and I'm using kids broadly. So whether they're yeah. small kids or whether they're adults, yeah. I think the the thing, the issue with them in particular was really around the fact that their identity is still forming. And yes. so you, you, and unfortunately, this is a society that grounds value in, in doing. Yes. Um, it's what I do. What, 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 what have I accomplished? What did I screw up? You know, what did I mess up? And so then if the environment that you're in, in terms of school, gave you some means for success, whether it was academic, whether it's athletics, whether it's some combination, whether it was social, whatever that was, mm -hmm. um, and those things that affirm your value, then you take that and remove it uh, from someone whose identity is not fully formed and grounded in doing instead of being, then I, I think that was a huge issue. I think the other the other issue, whether it was for the kids or even the adults, is of course being with um, people more often like family, Yes. Increases, How, increases conflict, right? Yes. Uh, increases some, some people getting uh, abused more, right. not having more opportunities to, to, to seek help, you know, right. because they don't have privacy. They don't have opportunity. Right. Uh, more addictions, drinking to escape. Correct. Correct. Um, again, because, you know, people don't necessarily have proper tools as I like to say there's 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 no permanent solution in a temporary fix yes so you don't you're not fixing what's really bothering you you're not healing it and on top of it now you're adding on another problem because what you're doing is not the proper the proper solution and it's adding on an, another problem when you turn to you know, drugs and alcohol and, you know, or, or any other kind of substance. So I think those were um, certainly some of the, certainly some of the challenges. And I, and I wanted to, um, you actually se segue into something you were talking about earlier, because I'm a bit, obviously a big proponent of, of, of integrative holistic approach. Yes. Because Again, we're not separate, right? Right. We're not separate from the rest of the body. We're not separate from the environment. We're impacting the environment. The environment is impacting is impacting us. Right. And, and and I really don't think people sit down really consciously and think about those things as much as would benefit them. Right. And and the reason I bring that up is because, like for instance, if I tell people if I take an orange seed and I plant it in the um in the Antarctic, I shouldn't be surprised that it doesn't grow. <laughs> right. It's not the right environment. Yeah, that's a right. really nice analogy. Yes. Yeah. It's not the proper environment to give it what it needs for it to grow and to thrive. So mm -hmm. there's nothing necessarily wrong with the orange seed. It's just the wrong environment. Right. And, um, and, then and, no and nothing wrong with the environment. Correct in that instance, but sometimes yeah. you know when it comes to people though in yes. the environments that we inhabit, the environment there it needs some changing, right? It needs right. Some adjust, it needs some adjustments. So yes. 
So I wanted to, because again, I, you know, you and I, we, I think we're so similar in our mindedness, right? Yes. So I wanted to bring in, of course, the, your, your use of, you know, mindfulness and hypnosis and just actually, so people, people know I've actually have used hypnosis and just recently went back to using hypnosis, um, uh, for weight loss actually. And for me, yeah, for me, it, 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 it definitely works. Um, I've used it also in the, in the past it, and it has many benefits in fertility and many things. So you're talking about mindfulness, the hypnosis, and can we talk, you know, talk about yes, that, yes. how you use it in your care of patients and its benefits. Well, I'm thinking about your analogy with the orange seed and, and Antarctica, and it's not that either one of those spaces is bad or unhealthy. They just don't work together. So think about couples. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I do a lot of couples work and, and, you know, it's, people are so quick to say, well, we're just, dis- you know, marriage is dissolving because they're a horrible person. And oftentimes you just can't label it. They just are not, they're not great together. They don't bring out the best in, in each other. The orange seed will not grow with some people being together. As I, as I like to say, they're not a good fit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My they're size, not- my size. 11 foot will not fit a size nine shoe. Yes. Yes. So neither one of you are bad people. It's just not a great fit. Right. Yeah. It's not the shoe. Yes. It's not my foot. Just not a good fit. Right. Right. And even all 11s don't fit. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or they don't fit perfectly. (laughs) Or you can get a callus. Or or some of them hurt, frankly. I'm talking about even some 11s. Like, well, you know, you can stretch them. Well, no, I don't really. Do. So right. it's just, I'm saying, I, I'm saying that to say, I absolutely agree with you. Yes. It would be so useful if people looked at it that way that, you know, that you're discussing when it comes to um, come themselves and, and, um, and, and partners or potential mates. Yes. So, and yeah, and then, yeah. And even within themselves judging their, you know, past behaviors and, you know, uh, trying to, um, you know, let's say I, I just saw somebody this morning. He's, um, you know, an incredible guy, but was an addict a long time ago, but he's overcome it. He's, he's worked really hard and mm-hmm. he still does daily. Yeah. And he's, and he said, oftentimes I think to myself, I'm an imposter. Mm. If my team that worked for me really knew, you know, then, you know, they, they wouldn't see me as a leader. And I said, I, I said, I think there's a lot of shame there. And I, I think you need to love that part of yourself, incorporate that. That is who you are. That is part of who you are. It's not bad or good. It just is. So do you use mindfulness with him or? Yeah, I do. Um, so I, I do a lot of actually more, um, informal hypnotic techniques, (laughs) you know, using certain verbiage, you know, I don't necessarily have them lying on the couch and, and going through a whole, uh, I do with some people, yeah. um, but you know, I'll, it's the way I use my voice. It's maybe what we've been talking about. Um, and I might use some interesting analogies. Um, and then they come so, back. So and, what is it? So for some folks, they don't necessarily do yeah. what mindfulness is. So okay. what is mindfulness and so, how does it benefit? More yeah. So process. Okay. So being mindful is being um, completely uh, engaged. Your mind, body, and spirit take a lot. Takes a lot of practice because we are uh, distracted all the time as human beings. Mm-hmm. And so I think I learned mindfulness probably when I started yoga, because you can't uh, you can't do poses and anything if you're looking around <laughs> so you've got to be on your mat and I always and I use that and I say to people stay on your let's stay on your yoga mat you know it's so it takes a lot of practice so I teach people I say don't and you don't have to do long drawn out mindfulness meditations find yourself a little app sometimes they record me and you can do it for five minutes you can do it for two minutes you can just listen stay focused you know, allow your body to relax and soften your face and feel 
just just experience it and some people never do i mean a lot of people will say you know most of us are crunched over our computer so we're always feeling tense and we're not breathing properly our shoulders are <laughs> not there i mean and so we're not mindful we're just like little machines that are breaking down uh-huh so yes i i just i try to teach very tiny baby steps and hope so, that they can work that into their daily life so for example i'll say you get up in the morning you set your tone for the day how do you lead an anti-inflammatory lifestyle it's kind of a a mundane life but how so do you find that, joy what is, so, so what is that so why so what does that mean and when i say what does that mean yes raising the the issue of and you know in terms of an anti-inflammatory life of course i i know what you're getting at. right well what, and what, so you talked about the notion of fight and flight your sympathetic nervous system is on fire and so your cortisol is going crazy and if that's going on all of the time and that could be good stress or it could be it could be positive or negative stress actually if you're just always excited and on and on doing you're going to burn yourself out causes inflammation on the brain and the entire body and things start to break down cancer you know you name it right because the um, inflammation is interfering with the body's normal functioning yes right so that's that's what, what the importance of it and um and uh, so i i so yeah I, I try to to teach patients like you to how how do you lead that kind of uh a calm and peaceful lifestyle it's a it's a daily practice of small things getting up at the same time every morning, you know, don't just run out the door, you know, take, if you can take the 10 minutes, you know, uh, take some time to, to think wait, about wait. Dr. Gretchen. Don't be out me. Don't be out me. Dr. Gretchen. <laughs> now, some people, it works for them. Like you, Dr. Well, I, don't, works I don't know. I don't know how well it's working. I know I'm doing it. I've been doing it for a long time, but I don't know if it, you know, but, you know, but it's hard to do. Yes, absolutely. And I'm not suggesting it's is an easy process, but all of these little components can help you lead a, a healthier life. Going to bed at the same time every night, if you can, you know, really and why winding. Is that important? And, and that's what I really, I want to get into. And the hit, so let me, yeah. let me do this. And we're going to come back to why yeah. the importance of, of sleep and going to bed at the same yeah. time. The reason I specifically was asking about mindfulness, because again, I think for many people, it seems abstract. It seems woo woo. It seems right. unscientific. Yes. Um, and therefore like, why should I do this? And to me, what I try to help people understand, and you've already talked about it is that it's a means of placing yourself in your body, in your body. If I'm talking about myself personally, of me yes. placing myself in my body and connecting to myself, my thoughts, my feelings, what's happening in my body. In our case of doing yoga, where my body is in space, because right. I, I do yoga also, it's, it's okay. extremely helpful to me yes. uh, in terms of managing uh, and helping with my stress. One of the things I know some people have difficulty doing though in the in the in the being sit and still meditating kind of thing, mindfulness is is I tell them you can do a walking meditation or anything can be my a mindful activity. And one of my favorites is actually if I'm washing a dish, because and and you can see and I and oh and oh my gosh, it's such a, it's just a, it's such a wonderful experience because I'm feeling the dish and the warm water and the soap. And there's all of these things in the experience that I miss when I'm not mindful because I'm up in my head thinking about whatever it is I'm thinking about, but not the experience that I'm actually having. And, and so I, there's and things, I, you know, there's so there's things. There, there are things that I'm missing, positive, pleasurable, beneficial things that I'm missing in the experience because I'm checked out and disconnected from the experience. And I, I would guess too, that when you're washing the dish, you're doing it very slowly, mm -hmm. which helps you become more mindful. We're all so used to doing everything quickly. If you weren't mindful, you'd probably break the dish, which would yeah. be a, a symptom or it would be telling you, 
Gotta so move I think, I think in the simplest terms, mindfulness is a way to connect to myself and the experience that I'm having in the moment to fully immerse myself in the experience so yes. that I fully get the benefits of the experience. Right. And so that, and so you, you kind of started to talk about the sleep thing and that's the same idea. You know, you don't just want to check out, you're watching TV on the computer, not engaged with yourself and try to fall asleep. Right. So what's the, what's the benefits of sleep, going to sleep, especially at, at the same time every night? Well, you'll, you will get up at the same time. You will get the same amount of sleep. You will have a, a normal sleep cycle. Um, it's, it all works together. You'll feel better in the morning. Um, you know, you think about when you're younger and you've got haphazard sleep and you don't realize how it affects you. So, but is and, that, and your body will start to tell, tell you. Right. But isn't it also one of the benefits of sleep is that your mind gets to process things of the day yes. and, it gets to, and gets to dump out some of the trash. Right. So there are these proteins called amyloids that you want to, you know, so, right. So the, that's the time for the brain to cleanse. And, and, and if, you know, and, and I'm just, I, you know, I'm just going to add this too, you, cause you mentioned amyloid plaques, which people are connected to, you know, Alzheimer's. Yes. Again, to when you were talking about inflammation, the, the again too the the problem with inflammation is that it damages body structures, it damages tissue, and when of course if it damages tissue, then that means it's not going to work properly. So so you're trying so you're trying to tell it go to sleep the same time every night. Right. They have to have a dark room and you have to get your little mask if your room's not dark enough and a nice cool room. And I just kind of describe it as winding down. I said, you've got this diurnal clock. And, you know, back when we were, you know, prehistoric. Diurnal clock. You know, it's so in the morning you got all the energy. Oh, you don't have one. <laughs> I think you did send me that email at two in the morning. <laughs> Yours is a little off, but it's okay. It works for you. And no, that's you, know, the, I swear, you know, I tell, but I that's swear, important. You know, but you know, how people say I'm a morning person. So I just it, it was talking to the, the, the chief, the chief, the CMO, and somebody else. And they, you know, and that's why I said, you know, I, she's part surgeon, so she's like up oh, wee hours of the morning. We have meetings at seven a.m. at times once a month. And I said to her, I said, so she, you know, she's part surgeon. I said morning person, the morning person. I said I'm a morning person too. I just prefer to go to sleep at three or four, five o'clock oh, in the morning. God. But you see, but that's, but this is important information because for you, genetically, biologically, it works. You're able to function. Mm -hmm. I'm going, can I just see you some know. patients at midnight or one? Right. <laughs> you probably could. <laughs> so in so, Hawaii or something. <laughs> yes. So, so, so you were talking about the importance of, of going to sleep at a regular time. Right. Right. So, you know, we talk about winding down and that, you know, I, I give the, the, um, you know, I talk about, you know, prehistoric times, you were forced to do that, right? You, you were forced to live by the environment. You know, there were no lights there, you know, you went to sleep and that's how you did it. But now we can be up doing day and night. You really would never have to sleep. And so how do you create that space? So you lead a healthier lifestyle. It takes a lot of practice. So what are in, and, um, you know, I, I think of, again, what, what are say maybe three, three simple things, um, that a person could do to help improve their mental health that doesn't involve medication. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm saying this slowly because one of the things that I always know to be true is that people are looking for, they they tend to look for like the magic. Right, the, the quick fix. The, or the bullet, yeah. You know, like the micro, I call it the instant grit fix. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, you know. You know, and, and something that's got a whole lot of wow and pow and pizzazz. And, you know, and many things are very simple and, but they also don't have a lot of flash or pizzazz. But they are things that if you do them and you do them consistently, if that becomes your practice, 
Yes. That it can be very effective. And no, it's not the, you know, the magic pill or the magic bullet or the magic anything. Um, uh, you know, so but you but you do have to get in there and do them. So what what are like maybe three simple things people could do? Well, you know, the overarching theme would be finding the beauty in a mundane life, finding peace and joy in slowing down. Okay. Get it, get it, get it. And what do you have some suggestions for? And I'm sorry, you said one, that was one thing. Were there, did you have two others maybe? So um, trying, you know, trying something different, maybe that you've never thought of before. So instead of, uh, I don't know, again, when you make, I think big changes are too dramatic for people. So um, just turning off your computer at night once. Okay, so you don't have you, to fly to Paris. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you know, you, you don't exercise at all. Uh, get up uh, at your desk. If you're at your desk, get up for, you know, five minutes and, and do some marching in place. Okay. Little tiny changes and lead to habits, better habits. Okay. And I was sitting up here thinking about this, so I, and I'm like, oh, I want to make sure I get this in, um, which is... Again, given the shortage of psychologists, um, and of course we've already talked about, you said there's 19 prescribing psychologists in the state of Illinois. What what are some ways that you would recommend for people to, um, you know, find a psychologist to, in order to get the, the the therapy that could be very beneficial for them changing their lives? So um, if you're using your insurance, always call your insurance provider and see they'll give you a list of people in the area and then maybe look them up and just see will they are they a good fit for you and that's the one thing I I tell all my patients if there's no relationship there then move on Mm -hmm. so you're you're consulting with the psychologist just as much you know to see if you feel comfortable with them and if you don't if there's no shame in that go on to the next provider um, but I do, but I, I do advise people because this comes up all the time. Yeah, I do advise people that how you interact with your therapist is how you interact in your relationships. Right. So if you have some concerns, don't just walk away from the relationship never having had the conversation. Uh, it's important right. to to express whatever your concerns are and how you think your needs are not being met, so that they at least have an opportunity to do that. And, right. and, it, and it becomes a way how you, it becomes a way for you to practice and learn valuable relationship skills with your therapist that you can then translate to other yes. relationships. Right. It's, it's the microcosm, right? That they, whatever is going on between the two of you is typically how you do interact with others. So it, that's, that's excellent. Yes. I would, I would, uh, Definitely agree with that. So you said check your insurance and check and- your insurance. Um, I mean, everybody, all the all psychologists today usually have some kind of a website or tell you a little bit, a bit about themselves. Um, feel so- free to- is, it, is it an association website that people could check too? Um, the Illinois Psychological Association does have a whole list, a directory. Okay. Um, the Illinois Association for Prescribing Psychologists, we have a directory too. Okay. Um, ask, ask, ask friends and family and, and ask your family therapist, pardon me, ask friends ask and your family friends that and you know that has a good therapist. Yes. Ask them, ask your primary care doctor, ask okay. your psychiatrist. Okay. And so again, it's word of mouth. So, yeah. so, you know, I just, I want to thank you so much for, um, you know, being here with me and and having these conversations. And the thing that I really want to, um, you know, emphasize, like I said, I was, I was so excited to, to have the conversation with you today, because again, how I conceptualize the work that you do as a therapist and the work I do as a psychiatrist is I tell people if number one, if someone breaks your leg, they're responsible for breaking your leg, but because it's your leg, you're responsible for healing it. And if you don't know how to heal your leg, then you need to get help. 
And so there's, there's, and, and the average person, I don't think, think they feel shame about not knowing how to heal their broken leg. And so mm-hmm. that they should think about it the way they think, you know, if their brain is not working function properly, I have a brain, but I'm not my brain. Just like you have hands and you're not your hands. Right. And if you don't know how to heal it, there's no shame in it. Nobody knows how to do everything. You know, nobody, if you don't necessarily know how to fix your roof, your plumbing, you call somebody. Yes. So the, the way to think about a therapist then is this is a person who has knowledge and information and tools and training that I don't have. I don't know how to heal myself. Let me get someone who can help me the same way I would get someone to help me heal my broken leg, right? The doctor, the physical therapist, and whomever else is involved in that process. And so the- the, A team. Right. (laughs) Right. But I'm saying, but even if it's just you in particular as a right. therapist, yes. seeing your therapist, they have knowledge and tools to help you heal past wounds, to help you learn how to look at yourself and ask questions. What am I thinking? How am I feeling? Helping you face your fears, helping you to, um, to, to um, transform your grief, right? Yes. And so that you're not stuck and that you can move forward and create the life you want. That's what a therapist does. They bring that knowledge and those skills to you to help that you can then add to your toolkit to get the life that that you want and not be stuck in a life you don't want. And there's no shame in that. Right. right? And one one of my favorite quotes that kind of ties that all up in a bow is it's never too late to be what you might have been. You don't have to be stuck in whatever narrative that you have given yourself that creates Correct. pain. Correct. And because, yeah, because sometimes, you know, so, it's, <laughs> here's what I tell people for me in my, in my, in my belief system, again, we are the wonderfulness of the universe appearing as us, right? We're spiritual yes. beings in a physical body. So who we are is already whole and perfect. That energy being is already whole and perfect. Yes. But some of our thinking is jacked up as hell. It is. <laughs> it's right. twisted, it's distorted, it's it sideways, is. all kinds of needs some kind of, you know, detangling, right? Right. And so, it's not like going in and doing a lube job on your heart. You have to, you've got to put some work into it. It's very challenging. Yes. So, so that, that's the, again, the beauty of your, of your, your talents, your skill set. In addition to the fact that you have the additional, um, ability to pr- prescribe for certain people that you think is a, is important and then refer them out. So, yeah. you know, I just, just real quickly, um, how can people get in touch with you? Okay. So um, my website is drgretchenbowles.com, D-R-G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N, B as in boy, O-U-L-E-S.com. My phone number is 630-321-9809. And um, as an aside, uh, my partner, Dr. Bone, who's also a prescribing psychologist and neuropsychologist, um, we are going to be launching a telehealth uh, platform. So hopefully we can um, help other people outside of the urban Chicago area. She's actually from Sandwich. And so she sees, um, you know, a lot of rural patients. And so we thought that was a way to access you know, give access to people that are, you know, not within our circle here in Chicago. Awesome. Awesome. You on social media? I'm working on that. Okay. (laughs) Working on that. Yes. All right. Well, you know what, again, I, I, I just want to, um, you know, thank you for the work that you do and, 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 and thank you for um, having this conversation with me you know, to awaken and empower people, um, to oh, help them, to, to give them tools to heal and to live their best life. Well, I, I really appreciate, and I'm so honored that you invited me here today. And, you know, again, thinking of energies, you know, I, I, you, I was immediately drawn to you when I met you. And so obviously you've got very similar energy and I really appreciate it. You're lovely. Yes. And, and so thank you. 
Well, you know what? The same same here. I have great I have a great appreciation for for you as 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 well. Uh, I, I'm called you know I call women goddesses, divine feminine energy. So, Doctor Goddess Gretchen Bowles, thank you so much for appearing oh, today. And, thank you. Um, so, and uh, it it was it's it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, I am your host, Doctor Valen Ader. Awakening and empowering you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. Thank you for joining us today in the sweet spot. Share, follow, and like us on social media. To learn more, please visit balinadurmd.com spelled B-A-L-I-N-A-D-U-R-R-M-D.com. Join us next week. And remember, when you heal your mind, all things are possible. <laughs>